0: Matthew chapter 15 contains a story that is is a very challenging story to wrap our minds around. And part of the reason is because of the, the picture of Jesus that it seems to be presenting when you first read through it. So let's have a prayer and we're going to unpack this story today. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we just thank you for your love, even when sometimes we don't understand the way that you seem to be interacting with us in this world. And, and Lord, I just pray that as we open up the word, that your Holy Spirit may be here. May you help us to accurately see this text. Help us not just to read it from a surf- surface level, Lord, but help us to really um, see deep into the text and to see your love and to discern just your compassion and your care upon us in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Luke chapter 11, there's a situation where the disciples are, what they come across and they stumble across Jesus when he's praying. And I don't know about you, but I would love to be able to pray like Jesus. Have you ever wished that? That you could somehow capture a little bit of that prayer passion that Jesus had and apply it to your life. And the disciples, they come across Jesus and he's there, who knows how long he's been there for, but he's, he's, he's just absorbed in communion with his father and at the end of that the disciples say lord teach us to pray and in response to this jesus firstly retells them something that he's already told them back on the sermon on the mount and he and he and he tells them the simple concise but super deep lord's prayer which is is sort of a framework through which uh we are to pray But then after that, Jesus gives a parable of a woman with an incredible persistence that she displays. And let me read this for you this morning. And the sermon is called Barrier-Breaking Faith, and this is what we'll be learning about. The parable goes like this. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey. And I have nothing set before him. And from inside, he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because of his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. This picture of the middle of the night. This guy has already gone to bed, and he's just... Just maybe he's just nodded off to sleep, and then bash, bash, bash on the door. Can I have some bread? Go away. Bash on the door. Can I have some bread? Can I have some bread? Can I have some bread? And eventually, not because the guy wanted to answer this person's request, but because of the boldness and the persistence in in the way in which the friend is is requesting it, um, the person in the house gets up out of bed and goes over and... Gives the person his neighbor what he wants. Now, this is just a parable, and it's one thing to tell a story like this in a parable, but what would this look like in real life? What would it look like if we approached Jesus with this same kind of barrier breaking, persistent, relentless faith? And chapter 15 of Matthew. We, in chapter 15, we see is such a story of someone who really, I think, encapsulates the, the heart of what Jesus is getting at, getting at here. This sort of persistent, barrier-breaking, relentless faith. So let's go there. Matthew chapter 15. So the verses that are outside of Matthew 15 will show on the screen, but if you have your Bibles with you, all the verses from Matthew 15 we'll be reading in our Bibles before us. So Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 and 22, it says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So here we're introduced to a desperate mother. A mother whose whose daughter is, as it says, Um, severely possessed by a demon. And we have some other situations in Scripture of, of people who were possessed by demons, and sometimes it got really ugly. For example, in Luke chapter 9, verse 38, there's a man who comes to Jesus and says, Behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son... For he is my only child, and behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him, and will hardly leave him. Now, is that the kind of situation that was going on with this woman's daughter? We don't know exactly, but um, it says that he was severely possessed. And in the uh, New American Standard Bible, it says, "Viol." It says, "Cruelly." Um, possessed is the way it, that it communicates it we think of other stories such as the demoniac when jesus went across there he was a person who had a legion of demons inside inside of him and he was naked he was bleeding he probably had chains from his wrists and he'd been he'd been roaming amongst the, the hills and the mountains crying out and cutting himself not a very pretty picture and so here in matthew chapter 15 we encounter a desperate mother who his heart is just going out to this, this um, distraught child and is looking for some sort of relief. And so she comes to Jesus and says, cries out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. How will Jesus respond to this situation? Now, in Mark chapter 25, we we find out that the reason that she is here is because the the news about Jesus has been spreading, and it says immediately a woman it's talking about the same story, whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, heard of him. So the news about Jesus. Remember, Jesus had just um, he went across the, the the sea, and all these people came. It says that there was five thousand men and many others, and many of those people were bringing sick people to Jesus. And then he goes back across the sea, and again crowds come to Jesus, and he heals and he heals and he heals and he heals, and, he heals. and it's no doubt that this news about Jesus' healing ability and his compassion is spreading all over the land. And so this woman comes and falls at the feet of Jesus. And it appears that help is going to be so close. It appears that surely Jesus will have that same compassion upon her. Now, I've got up for you a little uh, image here on the, on the screen. And although it seems that Jesus is... Is so close to her and she's so soon to get what she's seeking after. We're going to discover there's a whole bunch of barriers that still exist, that are still there between her and Jesus. And she, in order to get to Jesus, is going to have to push through all of these barriers. And the first one we find in verse 23. Actually, in verse 22. So the first thing it says, And behold, a Canaanite woman. The first one is that she was a Canaanite. Now, do you remember who the Canaanites were? You might remember right back many years earlier when the, the um, God had brought the Israelites out of Egypt and they'd gone through the wilderness and they were coming to the promised land. And they were about to enter that promised land, but the problem was there was a whole bunch of people in there. And those people were made up of many different um, um, groups of people, and one of which was the Canaanites. And the Canaanites, God wanted them to drive them out because of their idolatry and their wickedness, and they were doing all sorts of unthinkable things, things such as um, sacrificing their children to the different gods that they, they they serve, and and God had told them to wipe out the Canaanites. For example, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 20, we get the instruction, However, in the cities of the nation, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Do not leave anything... Uh, leave alive anything that breathes. And then it goes to specify those such people. Completely destroy them, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things that they do in worshipping their gods, and you, you will sin against the Lord your God. Now, were the Israelites faithful in this? They came in, they drove out some of the people of the land, and then they came up against some, some that were a bit more resistant, and they made treaties with others, and they were tolerant of others, and pretty soon there was a mixture of people still there in the land. And everything that Jesus said would happen actually takes place. They don't, um, these people that God had brought out of Egypt to create a people of his own, they fall into the very same things that the people were doing before they got there. The same idolatry. And in some parts of, when you read the the record of the kings, in some places it says that the things they did were even worse than the people before them. So you can imagine now, many years into the future, after they'd come back out of exile and the Israelites are there and there's still Canaanites in the surrounding regions, you can imagine the sort of hostility by which they would have viewed these people. Firstly, they were the people that they were supposed to wipe out in the beginning. And secondly, They were the people that caused them to fall back into all those traps of wickedness and sin, and they're still here. And so they built up these big walls, and they had this hatred towards the Canaanites. And so for this woman, she, being a Canaanite, coming to Jesus, would have likely thought that the same sort of hostility that the other Jews had shown her would probably be shown to her by Jesus as well. So she had to push through this barrier. But nonetheless, she comes and she falls at Jesus' feet and she cries out, Have mercy on me. How will Jesus respond? Verse 23 says, But he did not answer her a word. Have you ever experienced a situation like this? Where you're crying out to Jesus and you're pleading with him to to help you in some area. Maybe, Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's a it's wisdom that you need for a decision that's coming up, and you're pleading, and you're pleading, and you're pleading, and it appears that God is completely silent. How do you respond in those situations? How do you move forwards in those situations? But that's exactly what happens to this lady. And so the second barrier is that she is completely ignored. But... Nonetheless, she persists and she keeps going through. Verse 23 says, But he did not answer her word, but his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. So it seems that she's gone to Jesus. Jesus ignores her. So then she starts crying out to the disciples. Help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. And they're just sort of getting a bit overwhelmed by the situation. Um, maybe she's a, she does find her a, a nuisance and she's annoying them. And, sh- and they're just like, Jesus, just do something here. Just heal her, heal her daughter. Send her away. Just get rid of her. She's really, really bugging us. So here, she's a Canaanite. She was first annoyed, ignored. And now, she's just clearly being such a nuisance. But she persists. She earnestly persists. And she c- keeps pleading with Jesus. Verse 24, Jesus says in response to the disciples, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Is that true? Well, in some ways it was. Jesus' primary focus of his time here when he was on earth was to to the Jewish people, because they were the people that he'd He'd set aside to prepare the world for the Messiah. And they were the ones that were completely oblivious to Jesus coming. And, and he was first going to reach the Jews. And because that was his focus, Jesus couldn't be, have his time wasted with some Canaanite woman. It seems to be how it reads, doesn't it? Is that really what's going on? We're going to come back to that that phrase that Jesus says, I will send only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel shortly, but at least from her perspective, I want you to just imagine that you're in her in her shoes. Jesus has ignored you. The disciples are annoyed by you. And Jesus here in his words seems to be excluding you from his interest and his compassion. How would you respond? Most people would have given up by now. But this woman... She persists. In verse 25, it says, But she came and knelt before him. So he comes back to Jesus saying, Lord, help me. She doesn't at this point have any rebuttal to give to Jesus. She 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 meets all this opposition and this ignoring and all this this, this seemingly confusion. And she comes to Jesus and she just gets on her knees, nothing else to say, but all she knows is she's got a daughter who's demon-possessed, who desperately needs healing, and she, her heart is going out for her daughter, and she's heard about Jesus, and she believes that Jesus has something for her, and she simply, simply falls on her knees and says, Lord, help me. Surely that must move the heart of our Savior Jesus. What does Jesus say? If those previous obstacles weren't enough, this is when it gets even worse. Verse 26, it says, And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Whew. I don't know if anyone here has been called a dog before, but... It doesn't matter what culture you're in, it's hard to find something positive about that terminology. Even in Australia where we have our, pu- uh, our cute little chihuahuas and pugs, and, and for some people dogs are almost like children. You might know some people like this. And they dress their dogs up and they groom their dogs and, and maybe they even cook up a, a nice gourmet meal for their dogs. Some, some people think that's crazy, but some people are like that. But even with those sorts of dogs around in our society today, It's hard to find something positive about being called a dog. And it seems to communicate the lowest of the low, that this person is somehow filthy. And also, in, in the Jewish culture, the dogs were unclean. so This is an unclean person. Jesus seems to be completely uninterested with this person. How do we wrap our minds around this? How do, we, how do we grasp what is going on here? Surely this would um, discourage this woman. But no, her faith is persistent. And she sees in this description of the children of Israel being given bread and, and, and it's not right to throw that to the dogs, but she thinks about that scenario And she looks at Jesus and says in verse 27, she said, Yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Does this woman have faith? Here she looks at Jesus and she says, Yes, Lord, I don't know. I don't know how to come back with all these things that you've said. I don't know how to awaken a a thought of compassion in in your heart. But please just give me. Even one crumb of your blessing. One crumb of your blessing is all I need, and that will suffice. And when she gets to this stage, undeterred by anything that Jesus does, Jesus looks at her and says, so the last one was insulted. Jesus looks at her and says, verse 28, Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. What an example. What an example of persistent, unrelenting faith. Does that sound like the story at the beginning? Knocks on the door, bold, and the person inside is is seemingly annoyed with this person, but it says that, that he would get the bread because of this person's persistence. And here we see this same attitude of faith, this same um, barrier-breaking faith being shown by this unexpected woman and she gets the blessing that she was seeking after. And it makes me think, what are the barriers that exist between us and Jesus? When we're seeking after Jesus for whatever it might be, seeking to lay our hands upon Jesus, seeking a blessing from Jesus seeking salvation from jesus what are the barriers that seem to get uh, put up between us and him and these are some of the things that might be things that you've experienced in your life maybe the busyness of life you're wanting to have a deep meaningful relationship with jesus you're wanting to have this vibrant christian experience but life gets so busy and you can't seem to escape it how do you push through that barrier what about the love of material things and money you think of the rich young ruler. Comes to Jesus and Jesus says, sell all that you have and come follow me. But for that person, that barrier, his love for his, his possessions, his love for his money, his love for his, his position in society is just too much. And he says, and he goes away and doesn't take hold of Jesus. Hypocrites, maybe. You come along to church and these people who say that they're followers of Jesus they preach one thing and then they go away and they do something else. Maybe you've experienced something like that. And you want to follow Jesus, but you just can't get over the people who say that they're followers of Jesus, who just don't seem to be living up to the things that they profess. Maybe it's spiritual discouragement. You've been praying, you've been doing all the things that you think that you should be, but yet Jesus maybe seems to be silent like the person in the story and you have become spiritually discouraged maybe that's a barrier between you and jesus what about family pressures you want to follow jesus but there's pressures in your family or in your friendship circles to to live a life differently and that's something that you have to push through in order to take hold of jesus what are the barriers in your life in the book desire of ages and we're going to go to this this book a number of times in in the remainder of of, of the message and some really good insights that we're going to get from this book. Speaking of this this story, and Ellen White in this this passage says, there are no barriers which man or Satan can erect, but that faith can penetrate. Can you say amen? Amen. There is nothing that Satan can put between you and Jesus that a true attitude of faith can not push through In order to grasp hold of the blessing that Jesus has put before you, but what does this sort of faith look look like, and what does this faith consist of? She goes on to say, "In faith, the woman of Phoenicia flung herself against the barriers that had been piled up between Jew and Gentile. Don't you love that language? She flung herself against those barriers, against discouragement." Regardless of appearances that might have led her to doubt, she trusted in the Savior's love. So, what does this faith look like? This barrier breaking faith? Well, firstly, this faith believes that God is love. Were there times when this woman could have doubted this? Let's think back in those barriers when Jesus ignored her, when the disciples. Thought that she was a nuisance when Jesus seemed to be excluding her, when Jesus called her and her people dogs. Would it be easy for her to get discouraged in that point and, and start to doubt the love of Jesus? But the faith that she had was that Jesus is love. And we find this in 1 John 4:16. So we have come to know and to believe, to have faith in the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. That is a declaration in Scripture, but it is faith that takes hold of that belief. When situations around us seem to be telling us everything but this, when we're thinking if God was a God of life, a God of love, then why hasn't my situation turned out differently? It's in those moments when our surroundings seem to be saying everything but that we need to have the faith of this woman. That persistent, barrier-breaking faith that says, you know what? I believe that God is love. I believe that God has compassion for me, and I'm going to take hold of that compassion and that love no matter what it takes. Number two. This faith believes that Jesus is our only hope. This woman, no doubt she had gone to the different temples that they had and she had prayed to the many gods that existed in the the towns and the cities where she was from and nothing had helped her. And she hears about this Jesus, this Jesus who can heal any person who's brought to her and she believes that this Jesus is her only hope. She's tried every other option, and she has nowhere else to go. And so although there's all these barriers between her and Jesus, she persists because she has no other options. And so this faith believes that Jesus is our only hope. And it reminds me of a story in John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, it happened just prior to this story that we're reading now, Um, Jesus is is speaking to a crowd and Jesus is saying some very difficult teachings and they're listening to them they're not understanding them then that they seem bizarre and possibly even creepy he says things like this so Jesus said to them truly truly I say to you unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you have no life in you did you know that some of the early Christians were, were charged with being cannibals the reason was because of teaching of, of Jesus like this. Now, Jesus isn't saying that you li- need to literally um, drink his blood and, and eat his flesh. But he's saying is that the, the blood that he's going to spill on the cross and the flesh of his that is going to be broken, you need to partake of that sacrifice in order to have life. But the disciples there are listening to Jesus and they're saying, this, how, can we, how, can we with, how can we stand this sort of difficult teaching? It goes on to say, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling against it, said to them, Do you take offense at this? What happened to them? It says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. That's a sad verse, isn't it? No longer worked with him. Because it got too hard. The barriers were there and they didn't have the faith that believed that Jesus was their only hope. Jesus then looks to his twelve, says the next verse. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I just love that. Peter there doesn't say, I'm not leaving, I understand what you're talking about, Jesus. He had the same difficulty understanding the teachings of Jesus in this moment, but he believed that there was no other place where his hope could be found apart from in Jesus. And he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? And this woman had faith that believed that Jesus was her only hope, and she wouldn't go anywhere else because she knew nowhere else to go. It reminds me of a scene in the movie Tell the World. Now, this is a new film that's just come out, which documents the and, and in a um, it plays out the story of the formation of our church, the Seventh-day Adventist church. And the part that I love the most about in this, in this movie is the way that they present the whole Millerite movement. And many of you are probably familiar with, some of you would be familiar with how this went, where a man by the name of William Miller, from studying the scripture, believed that Jesus was coming was coming on, um, on in 1844, well, October 22 and 1844. And he had such conviction, he didn't want to go and preach, but he felt God was compelling him, so he answered, responded to the call of God, and he starts preaching this, this good news that Jesus is coming in 1844. And this was a huge movement across, especially in the United States, and there were thousands and thousands of people that responded to this message. And there's a scene in the movie where there's like a, um, it looks down and there's this huge big tent and there's this crowds of people on, on this day when Jesus was supposed to come. And they're just looking up in the, into the sky, expectant, expectant, just eagerly waiting to see Jesus face to face. And the day goes on. The morning comes and goes. The afternoon comes and goes. And there's this scene where the, the clock is, is striking for, tw- for midnight, and the last one strikes, and there's this eerie silence of disappointment. And the next day, we see that, that, that there's disappointment, there's confusion, there's, they, ha- they don't know why Jesus isn't there. They thought they were following God's, God's instructions, they thought they were following the scriptures correctly, and then the people begin to taunt them, and they're harassed by the people around, oh, so where's Jesus? He didn't seem to come last night, and these people are so disappointed, and many people turn away after this, but there's a group of people who stay focused on Jesus, and I believe the reason they stay focused on Jesus is the very reason that this woman in this story remained focused on Jesus, and that is, they believed that Jesus was their only hope. They were were confused. They didn't understand the situation. Jesus seemed absent. They thought they were going to see him face to face, but they had nowhere else to turn. And so they said, you know what? We believe Jesus is real. We believe that he loves us, and we believe he's our only hope. And we don't understand right now, but we're going to continue to push forward, and we're going to continue to pursue Jesus until he makes it clearer for us. There's only one barrier that can truly separate us from Jesus, and it says in Desire of Ages, it says, nothing but his own choice can pre- prevent any man from becoming a partaker of the promise in Christ by the gospel. Discouragement, silence, hypocrites, whatever it might be, the only barrier that faith can't penetrate is our own choice. And that remains with us. That's the only thing that can truly stop us And the good thing is that our choice is in our own control, isn't it? We have the freedom that God has given us to choose to take hold of the faith that God wants us to have, that barrier-breaking faith. Now, this story, it's very easy to understand when you just simply look at it as an example of persistent faith. But there's a number of challenges in this story, and these are the ones we're going to sort of wrestle with for the last part of the sermon. And there's three things that Jesus does that just seem very out of character with everything else we read about in the whole of Scripture. Number one, it says, but he did not answer her a word. Why would Jesus be seemingly ignoring this woman? Number two, he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why would Jesus present himself as being so exclusive in this moment? And thirdly, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs why would Jesus use this kind of language? And that's where we'll, we're going to go now for the rest of the sermon. So firstly, the apparent ignoring of Jesus to this woman. Now, to, to get, wrap our minds around this, firstly, I want to, you to notice that this takes place in the region of Tyre and Sidon. Okay, so these, I've got a little map for you up there, if you can sort of um, see it up there. If there's Tyre and Sidon, these were large... Uh, cities, seaport cities in the area of Phoenicia. Uh, now, this was Gentile land. And it's very rare that we see Jesus going anywhere up near this, this, this area. In fact, I think this, according to my knowledge, this is the only time Jesus goes this far north in his ministry. And he goes on this, this journey right up into this region. And when you read through the, the, the story, Jesus heals this one woman and then turn around, turn, turns around and goes back. If you look in Matthew 15, it says, I'll, I'll show this to you, verse 21, says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the, Ty- the district of Tyre and Sidon. So we see Jesus goes all the way up here into this, this remote part of the, the nation. And then the, rest, this, the next passage t- tells about this story of this healing and this interesting situation with the Canaanite woman. And then in verse 29, it says, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. Now where am I going with this? It seems from just simply the the way that Matthew presents this that Jesus goes all the way up here simply to find this woman. It communicates this as well in in The Desire of Ages. It says, Christ knew this woman's situation. Now when did he find find out about this woman's situation? Let me tell you, it was before he got to this region Jesus from afar, right back there in Galilee, looked through with his, um, with his omniscience, and, and because he is not just Jesus, but he is the Son of God, he, he was able to see right through to this region and find and see this woman who was struggling with this demon-possessed um, daughter, who had this great faith, who was longing for a Savior. And let me tell you that Jesus' compassion didn't begin at the end of this story that we read, but Jesus' compassion began right back when he was in the region of Galilee. And so Jesus knew this, this woman's situation. He knew that she was longing to see him, and he placed himself in her path. Isn't that beautiful? What a contrast with what we saw in the story, that Jesus seems absent, seems to be completely uninterested. Jesus was interested many, many days earlier when they started the journey going out there to Tyre and Sidon. It says, This was the only miracle that Jesus wrought while on this journey. It was for the performance of this act that he went to the borders of Tyre and Sidon. Even though Jesus seems distant and uninterested, the reality is that he was there for her. Okay? It reminds me of a ...a poem that might be familiar to many of you. It's called the Footprints Poem. And I love this poem because it it conveys the same thought... ...that at times when Jesus seems distant... ...actually is often the times when Jesus is closest to us. And the poem goes like this. It says, One night I dreamed a dream. As I was walking along the beach with my Lord... ...across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that at the many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me. So I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. When I needed you the most, you would leave me. And it finishes like this. He whispered, my precious child, I love you, and I will never leave you. Never ever during your trials and testings, when you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Isn't it beautiful the thought that when Jesus seems the most distant, that it could be the reality that Jesus is at his most nearest. And that's what we find in this story of the Syrophoenician woman. Point number two. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, is this statement true? We asked this before. And the reality is in some part, the focus of Jesus' m- mission was Israel. Israel. But we need to remember as well that throughout Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, um, the writer and, and Jesus in his ministry is making these hints that his ministry is for so much more. We find this first in the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. It's, it lists um, the genealogy right down to, ge- um, to Jesus' birth. And in a genealogy like this, you would expect there just to be the men listed, at least in, in those times. But here, um, ignoring the, the, gen- the custom of the Time we see five women who are mentioned in this, and it's interesting that four of those five women are Gentiles. Firstly, we have Tamar, who was a Canaanite; Rahab, who was also a Canaanite of Jericho; Ruth was a Moabite; uh, Bethsheba was the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. So here we see already we see the intrusion of Canaanite people, or Gentile people, and the term Gentile just simply means non-Jewish people into the story of Jesus and in the story of Israel. Next we see in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1-2, to two, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. It's interesting that the first people to come to Jesus and to acknowledge him as the Messiah and to worship him we not the Jewish people, but Magi, the wise men from the east. Going on, after Jesus has the Sermon on the Mount, he comes down and he meets a centurion, who was a Roman, also a Gentile. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. When, and then fast forward through the story, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. So hint after hint after hint, we see Jesus... Communicating, yes, and you look at his ministry, yes, he's focusing to the Jews, but yes, hint after hint after hint, Jesus is saying, My ministry is for more. My ministry is going to extend beyond the Jewish people to the, the Gentiles and, and beyond. In fact, everyone is included in my, my, my mission. But didn't God hate the Canaanites? Isn't that why he commanded the Israelites to go into the promised land and to slay the Canaanites and to drive them away? Surely God hated the Canaanites when he was doing that? Or could it be that that very act was an act of love as well? How do we wrap our minds around that? There's a very interesting quote in the book Prophets and Kings, speaking of the, the Israelites going in to dispossess the land, and it says this, "...the children of Israel were to occupy all the territory which God appointed them." those nations that rejected the worship and service of the true god were to be dispossessed so point number 1 they'll dispossess because they have rejected the worship of the true god continuing on but it was god's purpose that by the revelation of his character through israel men should be drawn unto him okay so here we have two things going on here we have jesus saying that he wants them to go in and drive all all of the um the Canaanites and the the people of the land, out in order to once again draw them back in. Okay, drive them out and then draw them back in. It goes on to say, All who, like Rahab the Canaanite and Ruth the Moabite, turned from idolatry to the worship of the true God, were to unite themselves with his chosen people. As the numbers of Israel increased, they were to enlarge their borders until their kingdom should embrace... The whole world. Is God just for the Israelites? Well, it depends how you define the Israelites. If you think just the descendants of Jacob, then no, he's for much wider than that. But the reality is Jesus wanted everyone to become an Israelite, everyone to be included into that people of God. And yes, he was driving those those nations out, but only so that he could create a people who could learn the things of God to be an example to the world and then draw every one of those people back in. And so, driving the inhabitants out of the promised land was supposed to be an act of salvation. In driving those people out, Jesus was doing what God was commanding to do, something that would result in the, the salvation of those very people. That was the task of Israel, not to save themselves, but to bring salvation to the whole world. And so, Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But the question is, who are the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Is it just the house of Israel? Or are the lost sheep also those many people in the surrounding nations who are scattered all over the world? It's exactly what it says in the Desire of Ages. When he said this, or when he said, I am not sent but, but unto the lost people of the house of Israel. He stated the truth. And in his work for the Canaanite woman, he was fulfilling his commission. This woman was one of the lost sheep that Israel should have rescued. Bit of a double meaning there, isn't it? Jesus is communicating, yes, he's focusing on a specific group of people. But that specific group of people actually encompasses every single person on the planet. Point number three, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, of all the statements that Jesus says, this is surely the most challenging. Okay, and I'm still grappling my mind around, wrapping my mind around the challenges that are inherent in this statement that Jesus says. But to understand it, we need to understand that Jesus here is is not only ministering and interacting with the woman, but he's also interacting with his disciples. And he's not just fulfilling the role of healer, but he's also fulfilling the role of teacher as well. Remember our, uh, the, the place we are in, the Matthew of Gospel. We've, been, we've divided the whole book up into seven larger chapters, son, preacher, healer, leader, teacher. And we're in the middle of the section where Jesus is, is showing himself as teacher. But Jesus didn't just teach with his words. He taught with his actions. He taught with his interactions. He taught with every single thing that he did. And here he has a lesson that he wants to, to show to the disciples. And so Jesus here has a dual purpose. In the Desire of Ages, it says, He received this representative, speaking of the Canaanite woman, of a despised race as the Jews would have, as the Jews would have done. In this, he designed that his disciples should be impressed with the cold and heartless manner in which the Jews Jews would treat such a case as um, evinced or as indicated by his reception of the woman. So Jesus here is basically acting out. He's there speaking to this woman, knowing that she has the faith to endure through this. He's saying the very things that the disciples were expecting him to say. Not because that's the attitude that Jesus had himself but because he was wanting to undo this attitude that the disciples themselves had. It goes on to say, and the compassionate manner in which he would have, have them deal with such, with such distress as manifested by his subsequent granting of her, her petition, is suppo- what she's saying is it's supposed to contrast what he did at the beginning. So Jesus here is presenting a contrast. He comes to this woman and first acts out the way that the disciples and the Jewish people would have expected him to. And then as he goes through all of that, he reveals the faith of this woman and then finishes with a contrast of showing the actual reality of the great compassion that Jesus has for this woman. And it says, at the end there, Beneath the apparent refusal of Jesus, she saw a compassion that he could not hide. Isn't that beautiful? And when you just read the text itself, we don't get the facial expressions that Jesus spoke with. We don't get the little, uh, the body language that came along with the words that he communicated. And this is pointed out in, in one of the commentaries I read by Artie France. It says, cold print does not allow us to detect a quizzical eyebrow or a tongue in the cheek. And it may be that Jesus' demeanor already hi- hired that his... Um, that his discouraging reply was not to be his last word on the subject. And this woman, as she hears this, she discerns that, you know what? I can see compassion still coming through Jesus. And she persists, and Jesus then acknowledges her, not as a dog, but he acknowledges her as one of great faith. And you can just imagine how this would have surprised the disciples. Now, not many times in the Gospel of Matthew do the disciples get caught. Does Jesus say to the disciples? Does Jesus affirm the disciples of having great faith? In fact, it's completely the opposite. Time and time again, Jesus says, "You have little faith. You have little faith." It says in Matthew fifteen twenty-eight. Then Jesus, sorry, Matthew eight twenty-six. He replied, "This is speaking to the disciples. You have little faith. Why are you so afraid?" Matthew 14, verse 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. This is when Peter was sinking. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And then later on, but Jesus aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Time and time again, the disciples, little faith, little faith, little faith, little faith, and they must have been so surprised when Jesus suddenly switches his approach to this woman and affirms her, not as a dog, but as a child of God and says, great is your faith. You too are a part of my mission and you too are are a person whom my compassion extends to. A deeper reading of this story reveals a loving Jesus who is determined to break down the prejudice held by his disciples and the message is clear Jesus is for everyone so what is your take-home message for you today how does this interaction interaction interact with your life this week and I've got up here five possible take-home lessons for you this week number one is that Jesus is for everyone, including you. Now, I don't know who you are. I don't know what situations are in your life. I don't know what are some of the things that seem to stand between you and taking hold of everything that Jesus wants you to be. Whether it's it's, it's a temptation, whether it's spiritual discouragement, whether it's confusion, whether it's a discouraging family, w- whatever it might be, Jesus is for you and um, that's something that we all need to believe. Number two, Satan wants barriers between you and Jesus. Satan, you can see in this situation, has caused all sorts of barriers to the point where the people who were to reach out to the Gentiles were the very ones that were pushing them away. We need to realize that Satan, part of his, the work that he's doing on this earth, is trying to create all sorts of reasons and all sorts of ways to separate us from Jesus and to create those barriers. Number three is that we need barrier-breaking faith. We need the persistence of the woman, that when we don't understand, when Jesus seems silent, when we are confused, we need to persist in faith, believing that Jesus is a God of love, as it says there, and that Jesus is our only hope. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this woman's example. And Lord, this is a challenging story because you act in ways that seem strange to us, Lord. But I believe that today that we've discerned in this story that in fact this isn't communicating that you're a God who is harsh to us, Lord, but that you're a God who is for everyone and that your compassion extended to the Canaanite woman, your compassion extends to us as well. And so Father, I pray that you'll you would grant us to have that same barrier-breaking faith. So that when the barriers are put be- before us, as Satan tries to draw us away from you, Lord, we pray that you would give us the resilience, the persistence, and the boldness to continue to pursue after you. And may we take hold of you. May we take hold of your salvation. May we take hold of your blessing. May we take hold of your a relationship with you. And may that last us all the way through to your soon return, we pray. Be with us now as we go into this week. Thank you for the Sabbath. Thank you for Scripture. And thank you for your love in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, greetings from beautiful and sunny Kingscliff, Australia. I want to take just a moment of your time, first of all, to thank you for tuning in, watching the program. I trust it was a blessing to you and your soul, drawing you closer to God and His will for your life. I also want to let you know that we are planning a significant expansion of our existing media ministry here at the Kingscliff Church. To find out more about this expansion and how you can get involved, go to bringitkingscliff.com. You can go either to the homepage or to the Our Gifts page to find out how you can come alongside us and support not just with your viewership, but also financially and with your prayers. Hey, thanks again so much for watching and take care.